This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's not easy talking about grief, but it's all around us every single day. And in the midst of a pandemic, we can't go through grief alone. We need to talk, listen, and learn about it so we can cope. Last week, we talked with one of the world's experts on grief, Catherine Shear. She's the Marion E. Kenworthy Professor of Psychiatry and Social Work at the Columbia School of Social Work and the Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. She's also the founding director of the Center for Complicated Grief. Her discussion about the effects of grief during a pandemic has led to some very meaningful discussion. And now she's back to answer questions from you and help us all better understand an experience we never wish to feel. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and this is the Super Awesome Science Show SAS Class on Grief. It doesn't matter who you are, it's not easy to discuss something as personal as grief. But Catherine Shear has been doing this for decades, and her words were both informative and comforting. And that's why, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I would suggest you go back now and do so before we get into the questions here. And as for the questions that I received, I want to thank all of you who sent them in from email, Twitter, and also voice messages at speakpipe.com sass. There's a certain quality to hearing a voice that cannot be underestimated. And I'm thankful that you've chosen to contact me via that route. And now, class is in session. Here's your first question. How can we deal with the loss of a loved one if we can't even see them due to a lockdown? Right. So it is more difficult to deal with the loss of a loved one that we haven't been able to see and to be with as they died. However, that isn't a totally unique situation. And the truth is, people do die in in ways that are very, very difficult for people all the time. And sadly, that is one part of of just human life. Suffering is a part of human life. And the one of the challenges of grief is that we have to face that. We have to we have to find a way to do that. So I can't tell you how you should deal with your loved one's death if you can't be with them when they die, but I can tell you that you can find a way. And that usually what you have to do is you have to think about it you have to find your, you know, you, you, you kind of have to accept it. You have to find a way to accept the fact that, yes, they died, and yes, you were not able to be with them. You might rely on your relationship, the, the, the um, strength of your relationship with them. That's one, you know, that's one big way for people to do that and to, to just put your faith in that for both of you that almost certainly the dying person knows that you would have been there if you could have been, and you know that as well. 
So that may be your way, or you can find your own way, but you, you need to accept that reality as hard as it is. Can grief increase the chance for panic? So I wouldn't say grief, not necessarily, but loss, a loss. Yes, after there is an increased um, chance for panic in an individual after the loss of someone close. That's one of the ways that we sometimes um, experience loss. And again, that would be, that really would be an indication that you might want to find someone to talk to, um, a professional to talk to. There, there are lots of people who can really help with grief. That's, that's one thing to keep in mind. What we're, what we're seeing, I think, actually in our society is what might be a very strong antidote to, to panic, which is we're seeing people reach out to each other in the ways they can. We're seeing people help each other and reach out to people, to each other. And, and that I think is a, is a huge antidote to panic, to feel, you know, for people to feel connected and to, to be able to help another person can help yourself. And to be helped by another person when you really need it, it is also very meaningful. And that, that, that's usually a really, again, a really good antidote to feeling out of control. Although last week we talked a little about how grief isn't defined by those stages we all know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, there were still questions about healing and derailers and how that relates to complicated grief and integrating the loss of someone special into our day-to-day lives. And I'm just wondering, can you take a little bit of time so that we can all understand? Right. This idea of stages, it, it really doesn't have any support whatsoever. That came from observations, close observations and pioneering observations of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, of, but of people who were dying, who were losing their own lives. And of course, we do grieve the loss of our own lives. But when we lose someone close, it's so much more complex because we don't, we're not all going to the same place. In other words, we're not all losing our lives. We, we're, what we have to do again is we have to find a way to accept the reality of the loss and restore our own well-being. And what we've discovered is that there is a kind of a messy, erratic, you know, sort of um, iterative process of doing that that can be that can be described using the acronym HEALING. So using that acronym, H stands for honoring the person who died and also honoring yourself and exploring your own sort of intrinsic, important, um, deeply held interests and values. So that's that's one of the things that is a kind of milestone on, on this in this process, and then embracing emotions, because we we all have painful emotions, and we um, we have painful emotions and also positive emotions during grief. And we need to be able to accept both of those. And when the emotions are very painful, we're going to have to find ways to manage those. But basically, we don't want to push emotions away. We want to embrace our emotions, let them be, and manage them. Then we want to accept grief, as we were talking about, and let it find a place in our life. We want to learn to live with reminders 
of the person who died of the loss, basically. We want to be able to integrate the memories of those of that person into our lives. That's really what we're talking about. Integrating is is kind of that um, the memory of the person as well as the reality of the loss in a way that can help us learn and grow. We want to narrate the story of the death for ourselves because really anyone's death, of course, there's no death without life and there's no life without death. So in in a certain sense, death is one of the most important moments in anyone's life. And we certainly don't want to try to push away or forget a very important moment in the life of a loved one, namely their death. So instead, we, we have to be able to think about that death in a way that's that's makes sense to us and that we can accept. And also to be able to talk about it with other people. And then the last letter here, G stands for gathering other love, you know, others around us and allowing them um, into our lives. So we we need to strengthen our relationships with other people, other people who are close to, and also in just in our general, in all kinds of ways, because our other our relationships with our community are very important also. So that's the process. Those are the milestones that we pass. And we tend to we tend to do this in not necessarily in the order of H-E-A-L-I-N-G, but rather kind of erratically um, in the sense of, you know, one day we might we might be focused on our grief and how can we accept our grief. And another day we might be confronting a lot of reminders and trying to figure out how we can best live with those reminders, which are not only painful reminders of loss, but also they contain a lot of the important memories that we have. And chances are we're not going to, you know, sort of deal with one of these and be done with it. So we're also going to iterate back and forth. We're going to, you know, address the grief and then address the reminders and then address strengthening our relationships and then maybe address address, um, honoring our own interests and values. And so it kind of goes back and forth in an, in a iterative process. And along the way, there are stopping points. There, there are places that kind of get us caught up where we, where we can't quite move forward in this process. And we call them stopping points. We also call them derailers because derailers then becomes an acronym, um, which, which can describe the kinds of natural processes really that, that, um, they're, they're natural kinds of thoughts and feelings and behaviors that we need to kind of work through. We usually can learn something when we do that. We learn something about ourselves. We learn something about our relationship with the person who died and something about the world in general. We're, we're learning as we're moving through these, these derailers or stopping point. They're stopping points that, that if we get stopped there for too long a period, if we can't kind of work our way through these, then they derail the process. And when this process is derailed, when the process of healing or adapting is derailed, that's what produces the um, form of grief that we're talking about is complicated. So there are risk factors for complications that 
have to do with the circumstances of the death or the context in which the death happens. And that's where we're going to be um, thinking about COVID would be a risk factor for one of these derailers or complications. You can think of derailers and grief complications as being kind of synonymous. We have a question about grief in children, which is a very difficult subject, but one that you have researched. We're wondering if you can provide some perspective on this topic in the context of the pandemic, but also in normal times. Sure. Well, the first thing is that children do grieve when they lose someone close, and they do so very differently from adults. It's one of the things we, I mean, I I sometimes say that children look like they're little humans, but actually they come from Mars because they, they do think and feel differently than we do. And, and grief is no exception to that. And so adults sometimes don't recognize that children are grieving because they are grieving differently. And in particular, they can be very sad, for example, and, and um, have difficulty. They might be crying and feel very sad one minute. And the next minute, they're laughing and playing in the playground. And so, you know, so the adult can miss the fact that that sadness for the child is really grief. And and also they may express their grief in lots of different ways that don't, you know, that don't immediately make you think that they're grieving, but they really are. They might get aggressive. They might get, um, you know, find it really impossible to concentrate. They stop concentrating at school. Their grades might fall, that sort of thing. Things that are, you don't immediately associate with grief, but children do grieve. So that's the first thing to remember. And, um, and the second thing is that, for parents in particular, the being, being able to continue to parent children effectively requires the, that parents manage their own grief. And so sometimes in some situations, if the parent is grieving so intensely that they really can't, I mean, and that can happen and it's no fault of the parent, um, that they really can't focus enough on their children then, then it's important to find someone else who can. And that could be another a close relative sometimes. Or again, there are some wonderful child bereavement services in the community. And so turning to one of them can be extremely helpful. I want to save this question for last. I want to make sure that we end on this. And that really is, when should someone seek help if they cannot deal with their grief? So I, I would say that there's no shame in seeking help. And again, there, there are lots of different kinds of services that are available in the community that are really, really wonderful. So there are a lot of grief support um, organizations, agencies. Some of them are kind of um, religiously based. They're religious church or synagogue based. or, or um, and, the, and those can be extremely helpful. But they're also... There are also community-based organizations, many of them child bereavement organizations that that include helping children with grief and also um, helping adults. So you can find those resources. One of the there's the, the there's the um, place called the NAGC is the um, uh, it's a it's a, a national child Okay, you can. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and certainly, certainly they can 
we have a lot of resources on our website, which is www.complicatedgrief.columbia.edu. There's also an organization called the Association for Death Education and Counseling, or ADEC, and they have a lot of resources about for um, finding support with grief. So it, it, it's not difficult to find support. And I would say that it's not a bad idea to get some support if you're feeling a little bit confused by your grief, if you're feeling like you're not sure that you're moving forward in the way that you could or would, would want to. Um, maybe you are, and all you need is some reassurance about that, but there's no, there's no shame in, in seeking that reassurance and getting that support. So I would say have a sort of low threshold for seeking outside help rather than trying to struggle through something yourself that's going to be painful and difficult enough. You don't have to add on to it worries about whether you're doing it right. And there is really, there really isn't a right way to grieve and a wrong way to grieve. So that's one thing to keep in mind also. I want to take a moment to answer a question I've heard from several people. It's about the role of nutrition in helping to prevent severe infections from SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus infection. In particular, there has been research that suggests that a lack of vitamin D is associated with a harder course with the virus. First off, the research is still being conducted, so there are no conclusions to share. However, nutrition can be helpful as a preventative measure. The numbers will take time, and studies will be ongoing for years. But in the meantime, it would probably do you well to be sure you are following the guidelines for nutritional health outlined in Canada's food guide. As for supplements, such as vitamins and minerals, the data, again, is not available to provide any guidance on how to prevent severe infection. We may learn the right amount of, say, vitamin D or calcium to keep us safe, but that is years away. And as for those who believe that we can use supplements to treat severe infections after they've happened? Well, the answer to that is no. After all, even if you use 500 times the amount a person might use on a daily basis, it's simply not going to help. As they always say, an ounce of prevention is always better than a pound of supposed cure. We have a question from Kathy that states... Is there any harm in getting the COVID vaccine if you have already had COVID? Well, the answer is, we're still not sure. As the rollout of the vaccine begins, there are no molecular tests to determine whether you have had COVID-19. Yes, you will be asked a series of questions to determine your eligibility. But for the moment, there doesn't appear to be any sign that prior COVID-19 infection will prevent you from getting a shot. This may end up being a good thing, because we know that immunity doesn't last and may end up being better after vaccination. We'll know more as time progresses, I'm sure. And finally, a paper by Dr. Yuki Furuz at the Institute for Frontier Life and Medical Sciences, Kyoto University, outlines a new method to calculate the risk at mass gathering events. The best part? You can do your own calculations on a specially designed website app. I've put the link in the show notes so you can try it out on your own. And there you have it. I want to thank everyone who asked a question for Catherine Shear and also for me. I'm really grateful for all that you are doing to make this show the best it can be. 
If you didn't hear your question, make sure to let me know by tweeting me at JATetro or sending me an email at thegermguy at gmail.com. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to leave me a voice message, just head over to speakpipe.com slash sass. That's S-A-S-S. All you need to do is head to the site, turn on your microphone, let me know what's on your mind. It could be a question, a show idea, or even just to say hello. As I said, right now, we really need to just be as connected as possible. Next week, we're going to be presenting a special holiday episode of the SASCast. We're going to be talking with Dr. David Suzuki. For those of you in Canada, you know who he is. And for those of you abroad, he's a leader that's been bringing science to the masses. And we're going to hear his thoughts on science today and where it can go, especially in light of this pandemic. You won't want to miss it. That's why it is always best to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps to spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We are proudly part of the Curious Cast family and are available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. And be sure to check out the show notes today for more information about what you heard, including links to Catherine Shear and that website app for mass gatherings and COVID-19. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Dila Velasquez is our story producer, and sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week. Stay safe. We're on the other side. Stay optimistic. And as always, make sure to show them some sass. Sass.